Spice podcast this episode. Um, Eli Dorado, he is a kind of a big thinker, a thinky thoughter. Um, he blogs, um, he does it really all. Uh, but recently I came across his uh, 2020 could be the year Bitcoin's fee market is put to the test. And he, you know, we're going to get metric, we're going to get numerological, we're going to get trilemma on you guys. Uh, but he is very much worth grappling with, considering. And before I, I get into the meat of the episode here, uh, Eli, thanks so much for coming on, man. Yeah, great to be here. Happy to talk. Very cool. So um, before we get into the, the fee markets uh, of, of BTC, uh, which we'll, we'll colloquially just call Bitcoin, um, you know, a, a little bit about your background um, you're, you're an economist, right? Yeah, that's right. I, I, I'm a trained economist. I, I don't, uh, you know, I'm not, I decided to leave academia or to not go down that path, but, um, but yeah, I have a PhD in economics and been following, uh, cryptocurrency, you know, for eight and a half years or so since, uh, early 2011, uh, while I was getting my PhD. So, um, so I think I was actually, you know, probably one of the first, uh, economist, you know, trained economists to really um, sort of start paying attention to blockchains and, uh, and, and cryptocurrencies. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's great technology. Um, and I'm super um, supportive. Very cool. And for our listeners, especially those on the tribal side, because we're going to get into some uh, fairly controversial um, arguments here. How would you describe your leanings in the crypto world? Like, is there a project you're a little bit more sympathetic to, or less? Or yeah, so I'm I'm relatively well known as as having a for having written a piece on Ethereum maximalism, um, which I, I don't mean in sort of a tribal way, uh, but I think right now Ethereum's like the most interesting project um, going on, and you know, to my mind, like Ethereum's going to be um, uh, sort of, I expect it at some point to be the dominant cryptocurrency unless something else better comes along. So I'm not saying uh, it's going to be uh, the top cryptocurrency forever or anything like that. Um, it's not not tribal, not ideological, but just right now I think it's it's um, better than a lot of uh, other cryptocurrencies, especially ones that really all you can do is transact with. Um, because you know with Ethereum you can of course transact and then you can do more. So why would why would you ever, you know, why would the market settle on a, um, a cryptocurrency that has a, a more limited scope, is no better than Ethereum in, in the one thing it does, but then is also clearly inferior in sort of other ways. So that's, that was sort of the argument that I put out a couple of years ago, about a year and a half ago, um, for, um, for why I, I expect Ethereum to, to succeed in, in the long run. Yeah, and I, you know, there's there's a lot to say for Ethereum, uh, whether it's uh, uh, Vitalik and and his uh, big braininess, 
but also um, just the level. It, it, I mean, you could say, I think it's fair to say that they probably spawned um, the, uh, the initial coin offering revolution, um, certainly made smart contracts a thing, whereas they were kind of kicked around for a while as, uh, as theory. And I think the rest of the projects are, are trying to catch up. Uh, is that fair? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's how I see it. Uh, I also see it, you know, in the, say, in the 2013, 2014 timeframe, uh, you know, a lot of people were, were really excited about, about what a capability of Bitcoins, which is, is colored coins, as it was called at the time. Right, right. And we, and we know them now as tokens. So like, you know, like the Bitcoin community was talking about it. And then, you know, the Ethereum community did it. So uh, nobody, nobody's the uh, it's not, you know, of the top 100 tokens, something like, you know, 90% of them are, are issued on, on the Ethereum blockchain. So I just see, see the, um, the Ethereum community is a lot more pragmatic and, um, and, and non-ideologically motivated and, and sort of technocratic and let's, let's figure out what works. And then they just do it and they press ahead. Yeah. And, 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 and I'll agree with you there as well, because they've, uh, they've, at least in my sort of outsider cursory um, um, look at them. They've, they've always been willing to kind of reach across and, and uh, look into other projects and, and uh, uh, dabble with other devs. So um, it, is, it seems to be a very healthy project as of now. Uh, I know there's a lot of criticism in, in other areas, but that's really not our, our subject here. But I think it's nice to kind of round you out a bit um, so that listeners know where you're coming from because you're taking on basically a, a different um, idea here, and that is the proof of work coin uh, par excellence, of course, which would be BTC, Bitcoin, and specifically its uh, its fee market. Now, in late 2017, um, I tried to give uh, some Bitcoin, some BTC, to a longtime friend who was kind of wondering about my cryptocurrency obsession, and she was like, well, send me a little bit. And so we set up a wallet, we did the whole thing. And uh, I think mm -hmm. I gave her, I don't know, maybe a hundred dollars. I don't really trust my memory right now, but I, I know the following did happen. So when I gave her about a hundred bucks worth of filthy fiat uh, uh, conversion here versus uh, BTC, uh, she then wanted to buy a gift card for Christmas, as I recall, and then mm. got whacked with a $25, maybe even $30 um, transaction fee. I don't believe that's your point here, but ultimately are, are you foreseeing that something like it becoming the norm on BTC if, if, if certain things don't change? Well, it, I think that, um, you know, sort of, so Bitcoin and, uh, other coins like it have a, a very, serious problem that I don't think people have really started to confront yet, which is that at some point, uh, sort of issuance uh, dramatically slows down and eventually stops, right? It's a, it's a fixed supply coin. And that means that for security, it's going to have to rely on entirely on transaction fees. Um, so that means that, uh, that the transaction fees that, that happen are what is securing the blockchain. And it may be, I mean, one possibility is that the fees go up and then what you end up with is, you know, sort of everybody, everybody has to pay that much to, to do their transactions. 
and and then you know blockchain security is fine. Or the other possibility is that the fees don't go up and everybody uh, you know still transacting for a relatively low amount, and then the blockchain is insecure. So so the question is like which of those futures do we get? Um, and and by the way, there's nothing in the um, in the fee market and the way that um, that transactors and miners interact with each other um, that guarantees that an adequate amount of security is provided. So uh, so it's a very interesting thing to think about is is you know what what is that going to look like you know sort of as as the uh, miner rewards uh, fade away. Um, what is the equilibrium fee and then what is the equilibrium level of security and and does the uh, amount of security produced result in in transactors that are willing to pay the fees that it costs and and you're not talking about in the uh in the far 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 distant future you're saying that uh, come may of 2020 uh these problems may start uh, rearing their head based on what what you calculate as and you you say there's a bunch of assumptions here and you take averages that are empirically available to anybody who wants to look. Um, but you're saying that this is, this is something that's going to happen in real time as, uh, if not a first, uh, among the first uh, types of experiments of its kind economically with a you know, multi-billion dollar, I'm not sure what to call Bitcoin. It's not a company or conglomeration, but institution <laughs> maybe, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, it's uh, a, it's a, yeah it's a multi, so first, what, what is the block? $100 billion. Dollar. Go, go ahead. It's a hundred billion dollar institution. We're gonna we're gonna figure this out in real time. Um, so so yeah, it's it's basically you know the the block reward on Bitcoin you know started out at fifty bitcoins per block, and then it halved once the first halving, and then it to twenty five, and then it halved again to twelve point five, um, and it's and it's scheduled to have again in twenty twenty in sort of uh, May twenty twenty timeframe. And, and, uh, you know, at that time, it's going to go down to, to 6.25 uh, Bitcoins per block. Um, so that means that the, the minor rewards um, that come from issuance are all going to uh, be cut in half. And, and the question is, um, you know, for, for the last several years, uh, Bitcoin has maintained, you know, a security level. Now, I'm not sure this is the best way to think about security even. But one way to think mm -hmm. about security is, is, you know, what of the percent of daily value of, of, of the amount of total volume that is transacted on uh, a given blockchain in a day, you know, what percent of that uh, count you know, becomes minor revenue? Because when the revenue is high, you know, the miners have a strong uh, incentive to expend hash power to secure the network. And when, um, when minor revenue is low relative to total value transaction, that means that, uh, you know, the, the value on chain is like a sitting duck for, for some sort of reorganization uh, attack. And so the question is, you know, what is, what is the safe level for the last year or a couple of years or a um, few years, uh, Bitcoin has hovered around sort of like a, a 1 to 1.5% sort of minor revenue to, uh, to daily uh, transacted value um, ratio. And, um, and, and even with the last halvening that, you know, the price was still going way up and, and, and usage, um, changed in such a way that it, you know, it maintains sort of that level of security. It kind of but, provided but cover, right? 
Yeah, yeah, but we're we're less than a year away now. Um, it's possible that sort of like transacting behavior will change uh, in the next year. But you know, sort of just extrapolating forward, if 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 nothing really changes, um, you're going to see uh, that that security metric that we were talking about earlier. It's going to go uh, below one percent, and you know, sort of well below one percent. Um, and that's, you know, that's the level that some people uh, in the community are, are arguing is, is the secure level. Now, there may be a reason to doubt that as well, but, but we're, we're, we're still talking about, um, you know, new territory for, for um, BTC, at least. Yeah, it's, it's super interesting. And I have a bunch of uh, questions here, um, probably too many, to, to be honest. But uh, going back for a second, because you and I both understand a lot of the terms that you're you're flinging out there uh, just for those who may be uh, stumbling into the, to the podcast episode here and, and kind of wondering what, what the big deal is. Uh, the, the happening part is, is built in. It's baked into the cake. It, part of the white paper. It's supposed to do that. Uh, in your estimation, you know, a steel manning uh, that argument, I guess, why, why would Satoshi or the group or whomever it is um, decide that was important? And, and, and an important part of the uh, of the construct. Yeah. So so the halving of the rate of issuance is um, in place to limit the total supply of of the currency. Right. If you didn't if you didn't reduce the currency issuance over time, it, the currency would be issued just indefinitely over time, and that would uh, result in a sort of non non finite money supply, which is um, you know, something that, you know, Satoshi thinks seems to have thought would be in, important uh, in a cryptocurrency. So the idea of, of having a fixed supply, any currency with a fixed supply has to bring uh, issuance down over time and they have to eventually get it down to zero or else it doesn't have a fixed supply. Right. And that's to, I guess, mimic as, as best as we can through uh, emails and uh, message boards and so on kind of divine uh, his or their intention uh, was to sort of mimic gold, which in and of itself isn't necessarily a finite resource, but as close as we can get to commodity money. Am, am I stating that correctly? Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, interestingly, gold is uh, pro-cyclical in terms of mining. So when, when you have a business cycle, uh, we do actually see in the real world um, gold uh, mining increases when, when there's a boom in the overall economy, that's right. um, mm -hmm. gold mining increases. But, um, uh, but yeah, that's, that was basically the idea is, is to, to, um, sort of protect people from sort of, you know, expropriation of, of wealth through inflation. Uh, uh, the idea was we're going to have a fixed, um, money supply in Bitcoin. And this is so tightly mathematical that it's it's extremely unforgiving. So, like in the gold scenario that you just uh, you just uh, whipped out here, it's it's basically you know not going to allow um, for supply to to meet demand in in kind of the traditional ways that we've understood that those two concepts, and it's going to go to zero essentially if nothing changes, and. That again is is kind of another first. If if we're thinking of Bitcoin as money, or um, am, am am I right about that? Um, in terms of it's the first in terms of like the world's Just, first currency where they've like been able finite, to guarantee you no. Know, this is it. Yeah, where they've been able, mm -hmm. been able to guarantee a completely finite supply of money forever. Yeah, I mean certainly uh, 
you know, you have to go back, uh, you know, maybe, maybe a long way in history to get to another currency where, um, where yeah. we knew that there was a finite amount. So, so yeah, and, that is, that is very novel. Mm-hmm. And some people argue that it's, it's really not that that's even, uh, the Bitcoin BTC or, you know, whatever we're, we're calling it now, um, is, uh, is actually not finite because of the, you know, by definition it can be, it's open source, it can be forked. And so now we have, um, a trillion different uh, uh, variations on that theme. Does that factor in at all? Because I, I, I don't remember seeing it in your paper, but um, in your blog post, but does that have anything relevant to do with what we're speaking about? Well, I, I think it actually, it does, right? And, and the issue is that, um, think about it in terms of the sort of demand for transactions, right? If, if there's only Bitcoin, and Bitcoin is the only cryptocurrency and there is no other chain that's, that's, that has forked it or that has copied its source code or so on, then, then you could imagine that the demand for uh, transactions could plausibly be so high as to pay high fees that then, you know, secure the network. But in a world where it's like, okay, I'm faced with this like $40 transaction fee, I can just go over to a different blockchain and you, you know, pay, you know, 20 cents or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, then you know, that, that puts the Bitcoin's fee market in competition with other blockchains fee market. And that could potentially, um, you know, further reduce demand for, for Bitcoin transactions. And that's, that's essentially, uh, and they don't have representation between the two of, two of us, that's essentially what drives Bitcoin maximalists just up a wall, right? Uh, yeah, I think I think that's right. Is that they they um, I think in some ways the Bitcoin maximalists are are, are right. Um, mm-hmm. You know the the on on one hand, you know they support. Um, I think they're probably very concerned about this problem that I'm raising, right? And and they're they're basically they're concerned that there will be competition from other coins. Uh, which reduces transaction demand, and they are also very opposed to um, large blocks, which um, which lowers the equilibrium price in the fee market, right? Mm-hmm. So, so because you know, I, I think it's because of a commitment to uh, to a fixed money supply, and because of a commitment to proof of work, um, you know, we can we can derive uh, perhaps uh, some of their behavior to towards other projects and. Um, and towards uh, large blocks. And this is probably why, and I don't want to get too far off into, into uh, BTC maxis, but um, this is probably why they're, they're working so diligently, or at least uh, in terms of the narrative of putting out things like second layer solutions, like lightning network and so on. Uh, maybe, but then, but then mm. even the lightning network would be, um, could potentially be a substitute for on-chain transactions, right? So, so if their scaling solutions for transactions work too well, I see. Yeah. then that then that further reduces demand for on-chain transactions. So so I think that that doesn't actually um, that doesn't actually wouldn't actually solve the problem here. That's that's a good point. Yeah, it, this sort of just moving the problem over. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let me let me quote you here because you you've you've chipped around at it, and I I just keep uh, moving you off the subject uh, because I cannot focus. <laughs> Uh, But uh, you talk here about notional security deficit, and I'm going to quote you, to make up that deficit in transaction fees, average fees need to rise to around $20 per transaction. I'm kind of taking you out of context here. So as Mm -hmm. of May 2020, to maintain one idea of what is considered adequate blockchain security, transaction fees need to rise at least 16-fold. 
while maintaining full blocks. Now, Professor Dorado, can you justify that claim? Uh, sure. Yeah. So the so the the simple way of looking at it, right, is is um, you know, Bitcoin today has about 1.4 billion dollars worth of transactions that it supports a day, and and sort of the the argument is that if you want to maintain this what you know one percent security level, you need uh, to produce some the, the system needs to produce um, uh, 14 million dollars in mining revenue, and so the idea is. Um, once uh, once the halvening happens in in 2020, you know Bitcoin miner revenue will fall, you know according to today's prices, to about you know 7.4 million dollars. So you still need to make up 6.6 .6 million dollars in in miner revenue, and so the system supports around uh, 300 320 thousand transactions uh, per day, and so that means that you need to raise uh, 6.6 million dollars over around uh, 320,000 uh, layer one transactions per day, and so that means, um, you know, that that that's pretty expensive. Um, so you know, you're talking of something around, you know, so 16 to 20 dollars a transaction. And in your summation, I I, I could see the the BTCers you know, notoriously they've made comments when back in during my, my 2017, late 2017 uh, anecdote here, uh, they were saying things, these are developers, of course, uh, saying things like, well, I'm popping the champagne. This is, you know, glorious. I'm so glad the fees are going up. So maybe in, in a weird way, they're, they're sort of keeping, I mean, what, because you've, you've pointed to, and we'll get into the trilemma in just a second, but you've kind of pointed to like, sort of the, the looming question throughout your blog post is why? Like, like why would the, I mean, a $20 transaction, you know, obviously if you're sending $6 billion uh, is great, but you know, if for most of us, $20 is just completely out of the question. So uh, why, why do you think they, they would support that or, or just kind of keep it that way or just ignore the problem altogether? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that they see, I think they see Bitcoin as a sort of base uh, settlement layer for a bunch of layer two activity. Um, and so they think, you know, you, you'll buy, you'll make your purchases and so on, on, on layer two. And then they um, sort of the layer two nodes will use layer one, the blockchain to do, uh, to do the settlement. Um, you know, the, the challenge with that is, you know, is it really the case that you're going to have, uh, you know, if that vision plays out to the, to the extreme, are you really going to have 320,000 transactions per day worth of demand, you know, at, at that high fee level, um, if there's less than 320,000 transactions demanded per day, then there's nothing stopping the transactors from spending less money right uh on, on the transactions fees there's there's nothing about the fee market that keeps it so high so so i i think it's it's you know even if um they see you know sort of the ordinary transactions happening on layer two i think you still have this this inescapable logic of you need to have uh a lot of a lot of minor revenue and and i don't um you know if everything moves over to layer two i don't see that happening yeah, um, I'm, I'm starting to believe, as, as I think I did even going into this, 
and you're sort of confirming it for me now in a roundabout way, uh, that this is, this is really a philosophical debate. I mean, besides the empirical questions that you're raising, um, right, about, about sort of the function of, of, of what it is that, that this thing is, right? I mean, it's a little bit philosophical, but I also think it's extremely empirical. Um, mm-hmm. Because so, if you look at you know, so I, I you know, I, I follow um, of all these projects, I probably follow Ethereum the most closely, and I'm looking at you know, sort of the the research that they're doing, they've done over the last two to three years about you know, when we move over to proof of stake, we're gonna we have to consider all these things, all the, all these incentive structures, and think about what is what is a sort of incentive compatible way to um, to make to make the system uh, secure and, and work in perpetuity, um, you know, with with the, sort of the proof of work blockchains, I see not a not a lot of research in sort of that incentive dimension. I see instead sort of a taking as given, you know, sort of Satoshi's initial uh, mm-hmm. incentive mechanisms that that came out when when the Genesis block was released and, and the Bitcoin code uh, was first released. Um, so, so there, there isn't a lot of, um, of examination of, you know, how should incentives be better or different, um, in order to make, uh, Bitcoin stable in the long run. Hmm. And that, that definitely goes across more than just, just BTC, which uh, we will, we will touch on shortly here. And it kind of gets into a project closer to my heart, uh, maybe even quicker, but, uh, before that, what what role do selfish miners play in all this? Um, you write uh, blocks cannot or can't accept five hundred thousand transactions per day at current average sizes. So these will bid up until the quantity of transactions demanded equals block capacity. And so basically, what you're saying here is you go um, a little further down. You say selfish miners' interest to accept an additional block. I'm sorry, an additional transaction at a lower fee is, it seems to me to be kind of a key concept. Uh, can you flesh it out a little bit? Yeah, sure. Um, so, so let's say that Bitcoin blocks are not filling up, right? Because initially, let's say the fees are too high. So the blocks are not filling up. Um, what that means is that as, a, as an additional marginal transactor, um, I don't have to pay the high fee. I can pay a, a lower fee. I can offer a lower fee with my transaction. And, and the logic of selfish mining is that as a selfish miner, I will include that uh, even if it erodes sort of the market power of the miners in general, right? Even if it, even if it causes fees on average to fall, and I don't want fees on average to fall. As a, as a miner, I want fees to be high. Um, but I'm going to accept the lower fee if the block isn't full anyway. Uh, the only reason I would exclude it is if my b- block is um, is already full uh, with with higher fee transactions. So so the you know the we can expect I think you know this market the the fee market to clear like like uh, any other like really competitive market, um, and that means that if if the demand isn't there, fees are going to be low. There's there you know the this is. Uh, a market with, with infinitely, um, or, you know, zero elasticity, right? So perfectly inelastic supply. Mm-hmm. And that means that price is extremely sensitive to, to demand. And you, you 
basically call it a, a potentially unraveling market. And you, um, you use that as kind of a way to encapsulate the, the Satoshi quote uh, that kind of looms over all of this, which is in 20 years, uh, quote, sorry, from a Satoshi quote from the white paper, in 20 years, there will be either a very large transaction volume or no volume. And I, I think that not only goes to what you're talking about, but this spreads to other projects. And one of them, of course, is, is Bitcoin Cash, which is utterly perfect without blemish. And we have nothing, <laughs> nothing to worry about, right? <laughs> well, so, uh, you know, I, I, w I wish the Bitcoin Cash community well, but they, um, the, the problems that I'm outlining here for Bitcoin are, you know, potentially even worse for, for Bitcoin Cash. Uh, Bitcoin Cash is, Okay, this you is know, where we're going to uh, have to edit. We're going to have to cut yeah. you. Stop yeah, the recording. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah no worries. Um, so, so Bitcoin Cash is, of course, based on the original, uh, you know, sort of Genesis block as well and the, and the rules of the Bitcoin network um, from the beginning and it includes the halvenings. Uh, so it too is expected to uh, have a halvening of block rewards in uh, May uh, 2020. And, and the challenge with, with Bitcoin Cash is that the ratio of transaction volume or of um, minor rewards to transaction volume is actually lower already than, um, than Bitcoins. So, so you, know, we, you know, we talk about um, Bitcoiners themselves feel that, you know, 1%, this 1% metric is sort of the right level of security that they need to maintain. Um, well, Bitcoin Cash is already at you know something like 0.1%. So it's it's significantly um, it, according to this metric, right? It's it's significantly less secure. And so the question How is, dare you? It, going. It, it, the the question is, you know, if if it um, you know af, when it when there's a happening, um, you know, and and let's say uh, Bitcoin Cash gets down to like you know 0.6%. Or 0.06% uh, in in terms of the security metric. Mm -hmm. Does that you know? I think I think you could actually see the the problems there first, in the sense that um, you know people might start to see an opportunity to start attacking it and to um, to uh, reverse transactions and so on. Yeah, that's going to be fascinating um, to watch unfold. And I say that as, of course, a partisan. Um, with uh, with maybe some bags to uh, to to protect, but uh, it, it is a bit like BCH is, I guess, kind of the canary in the mine shaft, right? Do you, do you think people like you and others who who follow this so closely will be watching the likes of of Bitcoin Cash to kind of see how how that plays out? Yeah, I, th I think I think that it's a it's a really good uh, you know canary in the coal mine um, in terms of uh, you know I think reasonable people would look at it and say, okay, if, if it starts to experience these attacks, you know, um, you know, we at, at Bitcoin, uh, should, uh, you know, B BTC should probably start paying attention and, and observe like sort of the, the level that we think is secure um, from, uh, from BCH, you know, where, where did the attacks start to happen and, and, you know, are they continuing? Um, you know, it's, it's possible, of course, that they could, uh, completely, you know, ignore the lessons and say, "Ha, see, we said, uh, you know, BCH was going to die anyway," and and they would, they could not attribute it to, uh, you know, this this feature that that you know, sort of their project also has. 
So um, I see these as, as, you know, in the long run, um, the incentives of the two projects are the same. Uh, you know, they, they both have, uh, they're both proof of work coins with, with fixed supplies. And, and so the incentives, um, you know, it's not, it's not obvious to me why the incentives would, would ever be different. Yeah. And, uh, um, it is, it is going to be something to watch for sure. And I, of course, will blame you if, uh, if it all falls <laughs> apart. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, so what we're really getting down to here, sort of the, the meat of everything, what it comes down to is the trilemma, um, which I think you, you put uh, pithily and succinctly towards the end of your, uh, your blog post, which again, uh, we'll po- we will uh, point to in the show notes, but it is called 2020 could be the year Bitcoin's fee market is put to the test and it is well worth reading. So uh, back to the question here. Um, towards the end, you, you talk about the trilemma. Can you, can you get into what that is and, and really why it sort of drives the thesis? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the observation here is that really in the long run, if you have fixed money supply, then it's the fee market that provides security, uh, in a proof of work currency. And, and it's, it's really possible that fee market revenue, um, is not going to be enough to do that. So it, it, you know, we may be in a situation where you, you have uh, your choice is, you know, you can have fixed money supply, you can have uh, proof of work and you can have adequate security, but you can only have at most two of those. Um, so if you, if, you, if you hold on to uh, fixed money supply and proof of work, you might not have adequate security, right? And, and then another way out of that is, is you um, decide, well, okay, we're not gonna have a fixed money supply. We're gonna, we're gonna in- keep uh, minor rewards um, uh, high sort of indefinitely, okay? That, that's another way out of it is that you, you induce uh, continue, continual mining rewards, but then you don't have a, a fixed money supply. And then the alternative, you know, which is still experimental I, I, to my mind is, is move from proof of, proof of work to proof of stake. Um, and, and, you know, that's another way out because you have, um, you have other mechanisms like slashing and so on that, that affect the incentives in a way that, that proof of, of work doesn't. So, um, so, you know, those are, those could be, you know, the, the choices that, you, that various cryptocurrency projects face. And, uh, and it'll be interesting to, to see if, that, if that's the world we live in, where, where you, you, know, you can only have two of those. It's very convincing to me. Very, very, very convincing to me. And whenever I'm convinced, I, I tend to uh, go get a, a glass of water and put a towel uh, down on the floor and just kind of splash my face here because um, I'm hoping, and this could just be the hopium part of me uh, from the BCH community, that maybe there's a fourth way we're not considering and in some ways, in some way rather, uh, devs or some smart gal or something could, could fight our way out of this. Uh, but you're saying absolutely not. That this, is, this is boxed in. You're, you're going to have to do one of these three. Well, I mean, so, so I don't know. I mean, it could be the case that, and this is where it just, I think it would become highly, highly empirical, right? It could be the case that transaction demand is so high um, that uh, that the you know sort of the the fees that people are willing to pay sort of cover cover the security um, that that's required, right? So if you think about um, 
you know, if the metric is that you've got to have, you know, 1%, which I think is probably empirically, it's probably too high because we see, you know, successful coins with less than that. But let's say it's half a percent, right? Um, if people are willing to pay uh, half a percent, you know, sort of average uh, fee uh, forever, um, then then it could work. The, the tricky thing is that is that um, the fees are not imposed by sort of the value of the transaction. They're imposed by sort of like the size of the transaction in, in bytes. So what that really favors is extremely large transactions uh, on the blockchain that are, that are paying, you know, less than, uh, you know, half a percent in, in fee. And then, um, you know, sort of the smaller transactions on the blockchain um, in terms of value are going to have to pay a higher percentage in terms of fees. Um, and, and then, and then the question is, you know, does that, does that work out um, in terms of providing an equilibrium? You know, one way around this, of course, is, is decrease the block size, right? If, if you have a, a, a smaller right. block size, you could, you could uh, sort of drive demand way up. Um, and we, we've seen this actually with uh, Luke Desheer, uh talking about uh, slamming it down to like, 300 or something uh just taking it even further down right so so you know it's so i'm not saying there's there's absolutely no solution i'm i'm just saying uh you know this is really an empirical question um whether whether this market works out or not um you know the unraveling phenomenon is real it doesn't hold in sort of all possible world states but but it's um you know it's possible that it that it could happen Wow. Uh, I've kept you way over the half an hour that I, I said I would, I would uh, uh, have you here. So um, uh, just to abuse you a little bit more. So when you say empirical, you mean that we're just going to have to kind of watch what happens. So we have all this theory. Uh, we have a lot of, um, of hypotheticals and we, we have sort of past experience, but nothing quite what we're facing. And even though the trilemma seems to be foreboding and it seems to be these these almost game theory like choices. Uh, it still comes down to so I guess in in the crypto world, especially there's kind of an ethos that runs through open source, um, kind of the old cypherpunk uh, um, ethic of if they can, they will. So if if you assume like it's sort of in the selfish minor scenario, someone's going to do it. So if security uh, that that uh, that ratio you you've spoken of so, so much here. Yeah. Um, if that drops, that someone could attack it. But empirically, it could just be that people say, "Meh, I don't feel like doing it." Right? Well, no, so no, no. I don't think that's right. I think the empirical okay. question really is, you know, what is what is the demand for these uh, layer one transactions, right? And and like, what what is the elasticity of demand, uh, and and what is the total amount of demand for these transactions? Um, and, and, you know, I think that is something we just don't know yet. We, we have to find out, um, are, is the demand going to be high enough to sustain full blocks with high fees? And if it's, you know, if it doesn't, if it doesn't in the long run, if you don't have full blocks with high fees, I don't see how you have enough security to secure, you know, your proof of work blockchain. Boom. Wow. What a fascinating discussion. Uh, I've learned a ton here. Um, and I, I really urge everybody to get out to your blog. Um, and speaking of which, how can people follow you, follow your work, and, and, and where can they find you? 
sure. Yeah. So the, the easiest ways are uh, on my blog and on Twitter. So uh, I am Eli Dorado on Twitter and I'm EliDorado.com on the web. Get out to EliDorado.com. That's E-L-I-D-O-U-R-A-D-O.com. And the article or the blog post we've been discussing is 2020 could be the year Bitcoin's fee market is put to the test. Amazing conversation. I appreciate the generosity of your time and for educating us here. Uh, we, we super appreciate it. And, and thanks again for coming on, man. Uh, my, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.